Quick talk. Fast talk. Street talk. Talk radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Radio you can believe in. Mike Graham. Speaking common sense unto the nation. On talk radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio as we hurtle towards the weekend which might prove to be as eventful as this entire week has been. I'm not sure I can keep up with it all. If the stories we're hearing are right, there are yet more revelations to emerge before Monday which could yet lead to the departure of Prime Minister Boris Johnson. This morning there is yet more news of yet another party, this time on the eve of the funeral of Prince Philip last year which the Queen had to attend alone. You'll remember the famous picture of her sitting all alone uh, in, the cho- in the chapel. There was a DJ dancing, drinking and even a visit to the supermarket to stock up on more wine with a suitcase. Has there been a single week in the premiership of Boris Johnson that hasn't included a party, lockdown or not? It seems to me that they were having a shindig pretty much every single Friday. Presumably, uh, the Prime Minister is still in hiding, choosing to self-isolate rather than face the music. At least this time, he wasn't actually at the knees up, but the atmosphere inside the headquarters of our government is clearly alcohol fueled and rules-free. Explains a lot about the policies they've been making, doesn't it? Meanwhile, over the road in Parliament, it would appear that the Labour Party has its own problems. Yesterday, MI5 issued an unusual security alert warning that a Chinese agent had infiltrated Westminster, including donating over £650,000 to Labour MP Barry Gardner and the Labour Party. It is a very tangled web indeed, but you might make this point. If the best case that you've got for infiltrating the British establishment is Barry Gardner... Maybe you need a better agent, for heaven's sake. We'll be asking Richard Tice what it is all about. 0344 499 1000. We'll also be heading to Australia later on to get the very latest on the Novak Djokovic situation. His visa has been cancelled and immigration officials have requested he come in for an interview. There's apparently going to be a hearing later on today. And meanwhile, uh, if he does appeal the decision, he can continue to play in the tournament. It's all a bit mad, isn't it? We'll also be getting a legal opinion on the Prince Andrew case after he was stripped last night of all royal connections by his mother, the Queen. All military titles and patronages have been removed and he is now at the mercy of the US justice system thanks to the civil lawsuit launched against him by Virginia uh, Giuffre. Insulate Britain are coming out of prison as well. There's something to say about that. Uh, because it's Friday, it's also time for the Perry Awards. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, I have to say, uh, have very happy Friday to everybody. It's looking nice outside. It's a bit cold, a bit chilly, a bit frosty. But uh, Richard Tice is here. And for heaven's sake, Richard, I mean, I mean I've mean, i been in the news business a long time. I can't remember a busier week and an even busier day today. I can, I can sense your shock. And you, yeah. you have been around a long time in this game. And, yeah. you know, the weather may be bright, but I suspect it's a bit gloomy in number 10. Really is. And, and also, actually, in the House of Commons. And we'll explore it all. But I mean, what you know? The question is, how long does Boris survive? Yeah. Not not if he survives. It's yes. just a question of how long. Mm. Uh, f- for my uh, for my mind, what I'm hearing, I mean, Tory MPs are being inundated with furious constituents. There's still a few cabinet ministers who still think this is much ado about nothing, right? Which shows which just is extraordinary. Isn't just it? Sh- shows just how out of touch they really are mm. with uh, with people's feelings. And I think the image of the image of the Queen sitting there at the funeral of Prince Philip, mm. whilst uh, Number Ten uh, staff 
were recovering from huge hangovers yes. from the party the night before, even though Boris wasn't there. Yeah, I think that's I, I think that's the final. Well, straw, it tells actually. you everything you need to know about the atmosphere inside the place where the rules are being made, where clearly nobody cares about the rules that they've yes. made and they don't pay any attention to them. I mean, sending somebody to the nearest, I presume, probably the Tesco's down by the the, the tube station to pick up a load of wine, put it in a suitcase, and bring it back. I mean. They're apparently doing this pretty much every Friday. It's it's unbelievable. And the thing that really strikes me, look, <clears throat> lots of us didn't agree with the rules. Yeah. And, you know, the collateral damage from lockdown. But the fact that these people who were making the rules, knowing that actually they weren't afraid of the virus, and yet they made rules that required people not to be able to say goodbye to their loved ones who were dying alone in hospitals, yeah. in care homes, not being able to... Uh, to bury their loved ones if they had sadly died. Uh, and so they were having to, you know, the funerals with, with almost nobody mm. present. Uh, whilst this was going on, I think that's the, the biggest, most emotional uh, mountain yeah. of fury that is Absolutely. bubbling over. It's, well, it's like a volcano that really is now is. erupting. Because everybody um, was looking back at the May 2020 date to see what they were doing. And everyone from Piers Morgan to, to, to me to anybody could find a, a picture of some kind or other showing that, that whatever the rules were, most of us were adhering to them. You know, and in May 2020, certainly, I, I think I hadn't seen my own children um, in Sussex for like eight weeks because I thought I shouldn't go there in case it's the wrong thing to do. And so people have been, and I've been a heartbreaking call from a guy during the week called Joe who lost his five-year-old son I heard run it. over. Yeah, I heard uh, it. And he couldn't have more than five people at the funeral. I mean, this is not a laughing matter. And Boris, until Wednesday, on Tuesday, was still laughing about it. Yes, and I think, I think that is the thing that is going to tip everybody uh, over the edge. Mm. And I think that the Tory MPs are going to have to say he's, he's going to have to at least set a timetable yeah. for his departure. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, no one knows how long Sue Gray is going to take to release her report. Well, whether I mean, it's, I don't whether it's know a week she, or a fortnight. What the hell is she investigating at this point? Because he's already confessed to being there. Yes. He's already said that there were other events that well, he I knows about. Th there's multiple things that, that come off it, almost like a sort of octopus. Mm. Actually, who was there? Um, what should be the, uh, the sanctions to those people who were there? Because mm. they're all um, essentially guilty of, of breaking the rules that they made. Um, whether or not the police get involved, that's clearly going to be very uncomfortable yeah. for them. And then there's the uh, the discussion that was happening on on Jeremy's show this morning about okay so should they all be fined mm. um or maybe everybody who was fined should have their money returned to Absolutely them because right. clearly it's not sustainable to find I don't know how many thousands of people uh police fines mm. hundreds of pounds whilst those in number 10 were partying. It's, no, it's just not, sustainable. It's not I sustainable. I don't know where it goes. And, you know, those who defend Boris still, and some of them are listeners to this show and been giving me a hard time for the last few days, saying, why are you, you know, turning into the BBC and Sky and having to go at the Prime Minister? He's our only hope. Well, actually, he's not. Because, to be honest, he is now dragging the Conservative Party down. They're 10 points behind Labour. He's handing the chalice of power to Sir Keir Starmer by his antics. Isn't well... It? I, I was one of the first to see it knocking on the doors of Bexley yes. last November when he turned from being an asset 
to being a liability when the first allegations came out about right. Owen Patterson and yeah. about well that was the beginning of the, the first party of, of the you slide, know that was the beginning it? of it yeah and it's just been a very long slippery slidey slope ever since yes and there's more to come mm. well there that's is the more worry. news to come because he hasn't been clean and he hasn't been honest and he hasn't been uh, sort of upfront with everybody you know what he should have done on sat on, on Wednesday instead of making a sort of mealy mouth apology and then telling his MPs it wasn't his fault and he was sorry. Um, but there really wasn't anything he could have done about it. You know, he should have said, and by the way, there is a whole litany of, of parties but, that we can tell you about, which we will release in a document tomorrow. But it's worse than that, Mike, because actually he should have done that when he stood up in front of the House of Commons uh, just before Christmas. When he was uh, appalled and horrified. When he was appalled and furious yes. by what had happened with the uh, Allegra Stratton uh, video and that party. That was the moment when he, he should have said, but instead he mm. didn't. He tried to say, I've been assured there were no parties. Yeah. There weren't parties and I'm furious. And he's still saying that. I mean, I don't think he actually understands that he's done anything wrong. I think he does genuinely think that the rules don't apply to him and indeed they don't apply to Downing Street. And, you know, people say that a fish rots from the head, mm. but it's a culture. Leadership is yeah. about setting a culture within your team, within your division. Uh, within your workplace, within mm. your office, within number 10. And he set a culture that we're the elite, it doesn't matter, we're setting the rules, mm. um, at, but we're not afraid of this virus. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I'm we sure will just you know on. people, as I do, who've been going in and out of Downing Street for the last two years, one way and another, uh, who have always said to me, you walk in there, you wouldn't know there was a pandemic. You know, everybody's acting as if there's nothing going uh, differently. Everybody's in each other's offices all the time. People sit around having coffee together. There's no masks being worn. So, so they put masks on as they come out the front door. But you then have to ask the question, why, oh, why, oh, why were they trying to impose rules on the rest of the population mm. that were brutal, totally, totally insensitive, uncaring, and has led to the most unbelievable collateral damage yeah. in terms of devastation to people's mental health, suicides, excess deaths. Well, they've more the, or the less whole, killed off the NHS, it. haven't they? I mean, talk about they've, saving the NHS. They've actually more or less killed it. Why were they doing that to the rest of the population when they weren't afraid of it themselves and they knew it was wrong? Mm. And so the whole thing essentially was like a piece of theatre. Yeah. And I don't know the answer to that. I mean, it, the mindset is extraordinary. Mm. And, and I just can't get my head around it. No, it does seem remarkable. I mean, people keep asking me from Tonya Buxton down, you know, what's, what have they been doing it for? Why? And I can't answer that question. I don't know. And, I don't and, know. But what I always remind myself and people is when we don't understand the decision, you have to follow the money. Yes. And in a sense, uh, they were listening to one line of science and there's so much money involved mm. in so many different directions and I think there's a lot more to come out about. Well, this. when you think about the test and trace and 37 billion, two stories this week, um, which kind of went without uh, much coverage at all. The PPE scandal, two companies apparently were given contracts unlawfully. Yes. Now, that would be a massive oh. story normally, but it's kind of been washed uh, away. Completely washed else. underway. And all credit to the people involved in bringing that project. Uh, the Good Law Project, I think, have, have mainly driven it. Um, but it's not actually just two companies. Mm. It's the whole principle of yeah. that VIP lane. Mm. And yes, they may still have been awarded the, the contracts. But let me tell you, I know a couple of people who have made millions and millions of pounds, mm. literally for making a couple of phone calls, yeah. acting as an introducer. And I think it's revolting. Mm. I think it's disgusting. I think it's reprehensible. At a time and when it's people, our money they're taking. It's our money it? that they're taking at a time when actually... We were saying, we're all in this together. 
you know, let's try and get through this. And no, some people were literally just racketeering, mm. making as much as they could. And I think uh, it, it absolutely infuriates me. That and then there's, I'm going to be talking on Sunday about uh, the companies that won't give furlough money back, even though we're yes. making vast profits. There's a day of reckoning yes. in many, many ways, not just at number 10, but for companies that have taken the mickey, for individuals that have financially taken the mickey, there is a day of reckoning. And I think the parties are the metaphor for the way that the government has been running this country. And that is what annoys people. It's not so much that people had a drink or that they maybe had a little dance or they had a DJ or they were walking around with suitcases full of wine. It's that kind of mentality that they clearly have, which is to show absolute disdain, disrespect to the rest of the country. It's extraordinary and it's utterly inexplicable. Yeah. And I think that the uh, the Conservatives are going to feel it, uh, feel the voters' wrath in the May elections. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, it's it's just utterly extraordinary. It is amazing. Um, and as if that wasn't enough to talk about, this extraordinary story yesterday that broke in Parliament about China, about a Chinese agent who's been donating well, money to the Labour Party and specifically to Barry Gardner, but and also has been fraternising with all sorts of people in the House of Lords and in the House of Commons. I mean, this is extraordinary. And I've tweeted out this morning, I think there needs to be a full-blown inquiry. This has been known about... You know, for years and years Well, the and years. Times put it on the front page 2017. 2017 about yeah. this. I mean, Barry Gardner's office has taken half a million pounds, give or take, mm. maybe just over 400 grand, uh, from uh, basically what turns out to be uh, a Chinese spy, uh, with close links to the communist regime. Mm. And you're thinking, hang on. So he's taken some. Uh, there's suggestions from Guido that uh, Ed Davey took money whilst he was energy minister yeah. back in 2013. Um, my point is that the naivety of the Conservative government since 2010, from Cameron to Osborne to Theresa May mm. to the establishment to Boris, who wanted Huawei yeah. uh, to be involved in, in, in our sort of core telecoms infrastructure, to Theresa May, who foolishly allowed the Chinese to fund and be involved in the engineering of Hinkley Point. I mean, yeah. all of this stuff, it, the naivety... And, and then you have to look at, well, OK, so what about all the grants to uh, the research institutions, mm. the Chinese grants to all our universities? Well, all the university chairs are now pretty yes. much owned so by China, I think, right? I think there should, there should be a full, open, transparent mm. inquiry covering the last, give or take, 20 years yeah. of all the institutions, all the MPs, all the peers yeah. who have taken money from anybody in China who therefore may or may not have links to the Chinese communist yeah. regime. Because the Chinese must be laughing in of course their, they are. their baths, their, their, their bedrooms, wherever, at our naivety, our stupidity. We literally invited them into the front door of the British establishment. Yeah. Not even the back door. Right. Well, I mean, they haven't finished laughing yet about the COP26 ludicrous sort of scenario where everyone was going to get them to sign up to some kind of, you know, no, we're not going to use any coal anymore. Oh, really? I don't think so. But people have been asking me, Barry Gardner? Really? Is he the guy that they've targeted? And also, what the hell has he spent 170,000 quid on in terms of his research projects? Who knows? But of course, it's not just money. Uh, he employed the... He employed the, her son. He employed he? her son. You know, all out in the open. Right. And uh, I mean, you couldn't make... You just couldn't make no. this up. I mean, in a sense, it's just... It comes down to complete and utter naivety. Mm. Fundamentally, I blame uh, Cameron and Osborne. Yeah. Uh, for, for opening the door and being totally, totally uh, unaware mm. of the risks. Just imagine doing this with uh, people at the heart of the the Kremlin. Yeah. 
I mean, you just this stuff is is it, it's so extraordinary. Mm. And I think that we need nothing less than a full inquiry. It won't be just Barry Gardner. There no. will be others. And also, it won't just be this one woman um, who is being named as this, the spy in question. There's going to be loads of people doing exactly what she's been doing up and down every single establishment uh, area of the country. And, and this is what we know about uh, on the surface. Mm. There will be much, much more uh, deeper down. And I think it is a massive wake-up call yeah. to, to everybody as to what's been going on, and frankly, how foolish Westminster has been, how naive they've been. Mm. And as you just quite rightly touch on, the implications are huge. Whilst Westminster is receiving cash mm. from the Chinese communist regime and their associates and affiliates, it's the British people, ordinary families up and down the country, that are expected to pay cash mm. to China for uh, to try and achieve net zero. It's madness. Yeah. I don't think the people will put up with it. I'm going to be battling and campaigning and talking about this mm. uh, for this year and next year mm. because I think this is it's one of the most important issues uh, of the day. Obviously, and it seems to me that here we are talking about these incredibly important stories. We've got a government that is kind of literally hanging by a thread. We've got people running the government who literally don't know what they're doing. Um, there's people running MI5 who seemingly don't know what they're doing, um, and we're paying for it all. It's and we're, so we're the mugs, basically. We're sitting here getting stooped uh, in the vernacular, which I think I can say. Too late if I can't. Um, and we're just getting, you know, getting... I'm sorry, well, it, just, it, it I seems, can't even say what we're getting. It seems the people good. in number 10, the only running they're doing is to the local supermarket with a suitcase yeah. to fill it up with booze. I mean, I guess for one thing is, 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 is good, that it won't be having a party this Friday, you would hope. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe there'll be another leaving do. <laughs> it's, it's hard to say, but I think that... Uh, people are utterly, utterly aghast. Yeah. And it's it, it, the core of the establishment and our institutions are being found mm. out. And fundamentally, the people, we, we trust our institutions. We've always been told the civil service is the envy of the world and that we're so lucky. Well, it was when they were still in the office, but they don't seem to have been there for a while. Well, I think we're all learning a great deal. Mm. The, the reality is that productivity is collapsing. You try and get a passport or a driving yeah. licence within a sensible time frame. Well, you know, funnily enough, I've got to go to the passport office tomorrow, so I'll be reporting back Good on luck that. with that. You might need to start queuing this evening. <laughs> that might interfere with dinner. <laughs> and they've got this series of rules that they've sent, saying only one person to lift at a time. Please observe all um, social distancing. Uh, you may have to remove your mask in order to be identified. Huh? Huh? <laughs> Sorry? I, I mean... mean it's not going to be good. Anyway, listen, let's take a little break. Uh, Richard Tice is here. Uh, he's here, of course, at the weekend as well. There's so much going on. Uh, I'm not sure three hours is enough. I might have to hang around for a bit longer. This is Talk Radio. Hi, <laughs> good Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. As if uh, all of that wasn't enough, Chinese infiltration of the British establishment, uh, the possible um, axing of the Prime Minister of Great Britain uh, and Northern Ireland... Um, Prince Andrew's been sacked by his own mother. Richard Tice is here. I mean, it's, it's, it's just the hits just keep on coming. The front page of the Sun's good today, though, isn't it? Thrown out. Thrown out. He's rather good. Uh, driven out. Picture of him in the car. Uh, basically haunted look of the Duke as he arrives for crisis summit with the Queen. Stripped of all military titles. Agreeing not to use HRH. I mean, what does he do it's, now? It's desperate. It really is. The, the whole thing is just desperate. And must be so difficult for... For the Queen, uh, for, for the whole of the royal family, and the implications. I, I think it's interesting that they made that announcement faster than was expected, which in a sense shows they obviously had appreciated 
just how serious this was becoming. And they'd obviously wanted to wait to see what would happen with the ruling at the beginning of this week. But they realised that actually the credibility of the whole institution of the monarchy was, in a sense, was was on the ropes here. Yeah. And they've, they've they realised that ultimately uh, the institution is more important than a son or a brother uh, or an uncle. Yeah. And they've said, enough's enough, we're done. Mm. And I'm afraid you're out of here. Yeah. And, and, in the, it's, and in it's, year, it's, it's brutal, but it is the right thing to do to well, as protect ever, the monarchy. The Queen makes the right decision. I mean, she's never really put a foot wrong in all the time that she's been the monarch, has she? That's right. And, of course, what that shows is is you know, never underestimate the the value of that experience, that wisdom, that long-term understanding of of how things work and you know, the queen understands how the british people uh, think operate and she's she's actually incredibly in tune with it even though obviously she's lived a life of the most extraordinary privilege mm. uh, but she, she, you know she understands and i think she's learnt over the years huge things you know when she didn't get things quite right with for example princess diana but she's learned from it and and you know I, i'm a royalist i think that uh, the the monarchy is a massive asset mm. to the United Kingdom. It really is. There's something uniquely special about yeah. it. Well, especially and as we look around and see the collapse of the government, pretty much, uh, which has now become, yeah. we haven't really said this, but it has now become uh, sort of spineless and useless because there's nothing that Boris Johnson can do, which he's not doing simply to protect his own position now, right? And, and so when when your, your other institutions, the institution of number 10 of, of Westminster, actually... The, the foundation stone that a well-run monarchy is yeah. is so important to the United mm. Kingdom. And that's why I think it's it's like doubly valuable yeah. at this time, yeah. particularly with the Queen at the helm. And, and this is her platinum jubilee This year. is her platinum jubilee. Her favourite very... son won't be able to take part in any of that, presumably. So we can imagine how hard it has been and is for her uh, as a mother... Um, you know, as a as a wife last year, I mean, she's she's had yet another uh, Annas Horribilis, but the the rock solid strength and resilience and durability that she has is, is extraordinary, and it's it's a lesson to us all, and we should constantly learn from her. And it's a massive, massive, uh, it's it's a, a huge challenge for the royal family, but I think they've done the right thing. And who knows where where it all goes with Andrew and the case, and uh, in a sense, that will pan out. It doesn't out. go anywhere good, does it? It, it? It's it doesn't go anywhere good. None of this is good mm. for anybody. Yeah, it's horrific. But out of it, I think that the uh, the royal family and the Queen uh, they're doing the right thing to protect the institution of the monarchy, which is it's sun- such a fundamental foundation stone. It's a rock of the United Kingdom. Yeah, and. I, for one, and I suspect hopefully many listeners of talk radio, most listeners of talk radio, uh, would feel similar. I think so. That actually it's well worth protecting. Yes, and it's not before time really that this has had to happen because, I mean, he's been kind of in the shadows literally for the past year anyway. Um, Some think this might make it easier for the Queen to sort of pay him and pay his costs privately uh, without having to sort of, you know, ask the public to know about any of that. But, I mean, it's just a dreadful situation because, as I've said to people many times, you know, his mistake, whatever he's done or not done, was even being associated with Epstein yes. and with Ghislaine Maxwell. I mean, the idea that there's a picture of him at Windsor with, with the two of them and Harvey Weinstein, I mean, you couldn't make it up, could you? No, I mean, he's demonstrated over many, many years a catastrophic 
loss of judgment mm. about people. He's obviously been infatuated with money yeah. and with access to uh, to celebrities and to high society in New York. And I'm afraid that most of that stuff, it can very easily uh, lead people into uh, into difficulty. And, well, and he's ended up with, with the worst of the worst. Yeah, and that's the problem with hanging around with very rich people because in the end, they bankroll you, they want something in return. You know, like the Chinese situation, and, and, and now he's having to pay the price. He, he, he really is, and that, that failure of judgment, and, and also the people around him really should have warned him, even if he was making bad judgments. Uh, you know, his team should have looked after him better. And, of course, that, that, that disastrous interview with Emily Maitlis, again, it was his team, as I understand, that uh, some of his team, that urged him to uh, to carry out that interview. I think actually one one member of his team resigned yes. in protest yes. because they because didn't said agree. It was with a bad it. idea. Yeah, it was a bad idea, and ultimately just another bad judgment, mm. just compounding a series of bad judgments. And I know from elsewhere that financially he's 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 got involved in, you know, with some financial arrangements. And you just you just want, is that really very mm. smart? Mm. And I just think it's just constantly a. Uh, questionable stroke bad judgment yeah. it's greed in the end isn't it that takes you down these roads i guess is it yes is it greed is it desperation to be relevant hard to tell yeah none of us are in that position mm. uh, probably a sense of he's almost like a bit part mm. you know he, he was the number two in line and then yeah. he's the number you know and he's just sort of gradually drifted away and it's it's i mean it's gone from from average to bad to to worse yeah. to disastrous. Yes, yeah, it really has. And we haven't even got to Novak Djokovic yet. <laughs> Blimey. Um, Richard, thank you very much indeed. We'll see you on Sunday at yes. 10 o'clock uh, for, uh, for Tice Talk, of course. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We're going live to Australia very shortly to find out what the latest is with the Novak Djokovic situation. Don't forget you can watch us as well as listening, of course, Apple TV, Rakuten, Samsung TV+, Plus, Roku, YouTube. Now we're on Amazon Fire as well. Uh, everywhere you look, you can get Talk Radio TV. Uh, you can watch it on a watch, watch it on an iPad, watch it on a phone. Uh, just keep watching because you never know what's going to happen. This is possibly the busiest news day I have ever witnessed in the history of news. And I've been in it a long time, ladies and gentlemen. We've got Prince Andrew, we've got Boris Johnson, uh, we've got Novak Djokovic, of course, as well, not to mention uh, the Chinese spy scandal. But let us go now to Shane McInnes, presenter of Sports Broadcaster at 3AW down in Melbourne, uh, the home of the Australian Open. Shane, a very good morning to you here. I think it's probably evening there, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is, Mike. Nice to be with you. Very nice to talk to you. Now, this is about as weird a story I think the tennis world has ever seen, isn't it? I mean, you know, we were saying just yesterday, um, myself and, and, and my producer, Adam, who I think you know, uh, we were saying, surely they're not going to cancel his visa now. I mean, we're now looking at Friday. The, the, the tournament starts on Monday. Wake up this morning. They've cancelled his visa. What's happening? It's remarkable where we're at now, Mike. And the fact that as we speak right now, there is a directions hearing in the Federal Circuit Court of Australia to determine what step is next. So it continues even at this hour on a Friday night, just approaching 10 o'clock on a Friday evening. And at the moment, uh, the lawyers for Novak Djokovic are arguing that this needs to be a quick hearing, that 
a decision needs to be made by Monday, Melbourne time, in order for their client to play in the Australian Open. And one of the key arguments they're making is that the minister's decision to cancel the visa today is very different reasoning to that of Australian border force when Novak Djokovic arrived in the country last week. Yeah, and what is the reason? Because, I mean, it looks from this far away anyway to be a very political motivation more than it is about actually the administration of the immigration rules. Uh, it certainly is political. There's no doubt about that. It comes back to public health. and That's the primary reason that Immigration Minister Alex Hawke uh, cancelled the visa today. He says there's concerns around public health should Novak Djokovic stay in the country. I think we've got to remember, too, the way this story has developed during the week. What was relevant on Monday is certainly very different to what's relevant tonight in terms of Novak Djokovic releasing a statement, in terms of those false declarations on that travel documentation, and the fact that we learnt more about after he tested positive to COVID in Serbia, he then went to a children's gathering in Belgrade where he said he didn't have a PCR result at that point in time, but then caught up with a magazine uh, journalist. He knew he was positive, yet still went ahead Mm. with the interview. And I think that's where the arguments around public health stem from. I think the difficulty for those people who were supportive of Djokovic as well um, have found themselves kind of slightly going, well, do you know what? I mean, as stupid as we may think the immigration rules are and as daft uh, as the double vaccination rule we might say is as well. Not everybody, by the way, but a lot of people in this country would say that. It's hard to defend Novak, isn't it, on, on the grounds of what we now know about? And I think that's the point, Mike. I think a lot of people are accepting on Monday when Judge Anthony Kelly made his ruling that the cancellation of the visa was invalid. People went, okay, the judge has made this decision. Let's move on with it. Even though many of us aren't happy that Novak's here because Victoria, in particular, a very vaccinated society and and we accept that. But as the week has gone on, there are just so many discrepancies in this story and you know even even the travel declaration where he said uh, you know my support staff uh they, they just ticked the wrong box you know if it's you or i who ticked the wrong box on a travel declaration we'd be sitting in holding at the yeah. airport for a good three hours explaining ourselves so it just doesn't sit well and i think that's where a sentiment kind of moved that hold on novak might actually be in a bit of strife here i think there is an argument though mike the fact that it's taken four days and dropped on a Friday night. I think that's a fair argument from his legal team, though. Yes, indeed. So is he technically appealing? Is this hearing uh, a hearing that the immigration people have asked for? Because my understanding is if he does appeal, um, he can still play. Yeah, so this appeals hearing is underway right now in Melbourne. Um, It is his legal team that asked for it. Uh, It's what's called a directions hearing. So basically to see where we go from here, does J- Judge Anthony Kelly, who made the decision on Monday, continue to preside over d- this case? Does it move to the federal court of Australia? Uh, and if that is the case, then it's going to slow down. We know the wheels of justice are very slow at the best of times. Mm. Time is against Novak Djokovic, though. He has to be available to play come Monday. And that is the message his legal team is pushing tonight. Right. And so presumably, is he allowed to continue training? Is he allowed to continue with whatever preparations he is able to do? He's certainly allowed to stay in the residence where he was staying. He won't be taken back into detention. His legal team is asking that he remain with them tomorrow. Again, not go into any holding as such. However, it's not clear whether he's allowed to continue training, which would, of course, be significant given the Grand Slam starts on Monday. He trained this morning, but if he's not able to take to the court on Saturday and Sunday, 
uh, that's going to be a massive spanner in the works. Absolutely right. And I understand the Serbian community in Melbourne has been quite sort of active in supporting him, but also uh, causing a bit of trouble as well. They were earlier in the week. They were very vocal. They were outside his legal team's office, especially when there was speculation on Monday night, Melbourne time, that he may still be deported that night. That obviously didn't come to fruition. It has quietened down, though. Uh, There was no protest in the city tonight. Now, whether that shifts across the weekend, if he's not to get his way, and whether or not something happens on Monday if he is to be at the Australian Open, whether or not there'd be a large Serbian um, uh, fanage there in order to show their support for him and maybe get a little bit out of hand. That's extraordinary, isn't it? And finally, um, as far as what happens when and if he leaves the country, um, they presumably can still say to him, you can't return for three years because of these breaches. You know, he wants obviously to be able to win the Australian Open more times in order to make even more records uh, for what is a brilliant career. Um, Where does that stand at the moment? Well, it's his most successful Grand Slam, Mike. He's won nine of his 20 here in Melbourne. Of Mm. course, he's going for number 21 this year, um, I would suspect that if his appeal isn't successful, he will be banned from travelling to the country for three years. Um, the fact that he's put the immigration minister through a bit more trouble <laughs> than maybe was anticipated. The, the immigration minister can waive that three years, by the way, but maybe that was an offer they had beforehand saying, you know what, if you pack your bags and go home now, you can come back next year. But I get the feeling the uh, the federal government, they'll be... Uh, They'll be wanting to enforce the rules if he goes with this appeal across the weekend. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously going to be quite stubborn about this. He doesn't want to go because if I, oh, I think yeah. if I was him, I'd be on the first private jet out of there. Oh, ab- ab- absolutely. But I think this is the narrative for Novak Djokovic now. He's overcome all these hurdles. It is now climbing Mount Everest for him because if he does get to the final and win, this will be the most historic Grand Slam victory I think we have seen and he'll use it for his legacy mm. ultimately. Yeah, absolutely right. Fascinating stuff. Well, listen, uh, Shane, thank you so much for talking to us. Shane McInnes there, uh, presenter of Sports Broadcast with 3AW Melbourne, where still uh, it's all hanging in the balance. Nobody really knows whether when Monday comes, Novak Djokovic will be playing in the Australian Open or not. It's unbelievable, isn't it? This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Right now, though, uh, we're going to talk to Dave Chawner, uh, who is, of course, a frequent guest on Plank of the Week, or at least uh, he hopes to be, and I hope to have him on Plank of the Week a couple of times this year at the very least. Dave, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Lovely, lovely introduction. Welcome to you. You know what, Mike? I think that Prince Andrew has got a new job, and that's in the marketing department of OVO. <laughs> well, they could certainly do with somebody at OVO, couldn't they? But uh, unfortunately, uh, having made massive blunders about um, telling people what they should be doing about holding and stroking their cats and, you know, jumping up and down doing star jumps, you know, they've also now announced, just for good measure, they're sacking a load of people. Oh, are they as well? Oh, great. Well, I mean, that's that, that that's the gift that keeps on giving. And I, I love that direction that they told people to cuddle cats. I mean, we did take that advice. And I can tell you, the cat's owner was furious. Yeah, the cat's not very keen. But there's another company in the, in the news today. And these are the ones who are telling people uh, it's a good idea to wear a pair of socks because it reminds you that climate change is a big issue to think about. 
I, I'm furious about this. Uh, if anyone hasn't caught this story, it's Elon. They're sending customers socks in the post to try and lower heating bills. There's obviously electricity, heating, all stuff, uh, all energy bills uh, rise. I think this is appalling, and I was shocked. I, I'm a customer of Elon. I didn't get a single sock. I think that is that's terrible. Well, I mean, I mean, I quite frankly have got too many socks. I mean, every time I look in my sock drawer. Um, I've got loads of socks in there that I never wear because I never really now only really wear black socks, right? Um, and if you've got any other colours, I'm always very suspicious. Jon Snow used to always wear red socks and I always thought somebody who's wearing coloured, highly coloured socks deliberately is trying to be a bit too hard to look a bit eccentric. I I think the one is red trousers. If anyone wears a red trouser, they should be put on a register and immediately tagged. <laughs> exactly right. But I mean, what is going on with some of these companies? You know, it's not good enough anymore uh, to just sell you what they sell you. They're trying to sort of push you and nudge you into some other direction all the time. Well, I didn't realise that Eon was run by Mr. Burns. And obviously this was meant to be some sort of funny joke, but... No wonder utility bills are rising if companies are giving away free clothing. You know, you work for Eon, not ASOS. I mean, you know, with the, get... the amount of money they're currently charging for energy, they should be sending gold bars to people to put in the bank. <laughs> you know, yeah. that might be a bit more helpful. I will give it three months before they're running charity adverts in Africa asking for donations. Yeah. This is Philip. He lives in Chelmsford. Donate three pounds yeah. a week so we can use the kettle. Oh, I know. Absolutely unbelievable. Have you ever had any sort of uh, horribly unsolicited gifts sent your way? Because, I mean, we've just had Christmas. I don't know what yours was like. Uh, a lot of people had a reasonable Christmas, I think, this year. I mean, it was all right. I think people make the the best of it. The one that really annoys me is when you get uh, charity letters and they send you a pen. And I'm kind of like, if you've got enough money to send out free gifts, then don't ask me for more cash. Yes. Mind you, I mean, free pens are not exactly going to break the bank, are they? Yeah, but I mean, I I don't think they're just sending them to me. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing they print make hundreds of thousands of these and people look at them once and then never think about them again i Mm. think it's and it builds into this wider narrative of what are eon doing here i really think that they've lost sight of the ball and i I think really focus if you're spending your time and energy sending people socks in the post you're probably not trying to focus on fixing this energy crisis and as winter looms I think more and more people are genuinely quite concerned about this. Well, I mean, the problem is, right, the bottom line is they're saying that they want to motivate households to consider how they can reduce their carbon footprint. Like somehow it's our fault that electricity costs so much money. It's not our fault, it's their fault. They run the electricity company. Why can't they just make it cheaper? I I think it's the COVID playbook all over again of just passing, kicking the blame further down the street of, you know, if you're good, then you will be allowed Christmas. And I think it's exactly the same with this energy thing. If you're good, then you will have like lower, um, lower heating bills and stuff like that. And I, I just, I actually don't think that's going to bring people on board. Because you know what? I think very few people want global warming. I think very few people want an energy crisis. I think people are doing what they can. But when you're blaming the, placing the blame solely on us, I don't think that's helpful. No, I don't think it is. It must be a difficult time for you at the moment, Dave, as well, because, I mean, you can't really make up anything funnier than the way the government is actually uh, proceeding through the course of 2022 so far. Uh, they seem to be having a party pretty much every night down at Downing Street. 
I think I'd agree with the start of that sentence, Mike, is that I can't make up anything funny. <laughs> Leave that there. Well, nothing I mean, funnier, though, really. I mean, I feel like we're living in one long episode of Black Mirror at the moment. Yeah. I think I was watching PMQs and I can't remember the brilliant MP that turned up and said, would it just be easier to count the days that there was not a party in Downing Street? I've got to admit, Mike, I don't know about you. I think I'm in the wrong job. I've never had so many boozy parties in all my life. No. Well, clearly, I mean, I suppose you could explain some of the policy decisions being made inside number 10, <laughs> given that they're always either suffering from massive hangovers uh, or sort of getting stuck into the hair of the dog first thing in the morning. I think there's, it, it's like there's three tombolas that they've got in Downing Street and you kind of like whisk them around and pick out a ball. And like, OK, climate change initiative. What do we do? Roll the other one. Give people socks. Right. That feels like how we're being led. At the yeah. Also, I mean, I've never worked in any place uh, and certainly I've worked in plenty of places where people drank quite a lot. But never has anyone been dispatched to the local Tesco's with a suitcase to fill it with bottles of wine and come back. I mean, yet again, I think I'm working in the wrong jobs. You know, I just think in the heart of government, in the middle of a pandemic as well, it, it, it's just not a not a good sign. If I was a conspiracy theorist, Mike, I would think that the government are working with people like Eon, that they want us to work from home so that we boost our energy bills so that they can cream off the top. Because you know what? If we went back to the office, bills would be a lot lower do you know, that's a very good point. In fact, so many people who do work from home have been complaining about that, that they want the office to pay for their electricity, which is a bit rich as well, isn't it? Yeah, but if you don't ask, you don't get. You know, I mean, if I if I wasn't freelance, then I would certainly see how much I could get, whether it's like heating, Wi-Fi, electricity. You, you know, if you don't ask, you don't get. Well, I suppose that's right. Well, Dave, listen, um, what's your plan? Are you out and about uh, with the old comedy circuit yet? Are we back to normal in I that way or not? You know what, we are, and it's been absolutely lovely. I'm heading up to uh, lovely Sunderland on... Uh, Very nice. Oh, they love me up there. Don't mention my name in Sunderland because uh, we had a bit of a row, uh, me and Sunderland, a couple of years back, and uh, I was threatened with all sorts of things by them. <laughs> Right, you can't let that hang. You've got to explain that more. Well, I mean, there was a study that came out, right, um, about how Sunderland was the best place to live if you were a young person. And I just said, I don't believe this, because I knew at least one person who had been to university in Newcastle, who worked at TalkSport, and she told me that she lived in Sunderland. It was a dump. And I don't want to get into it quite as much as I did then, but we got some guy on uh, who was a big Sunderland supporter. Um, and I started giving him, you know, my view of what I thought Sunderland was like. And he just went mad, put the phone down on me. Uh, and then this whole kind of, you know, social media campaign against me uh, started. They've got a, a strange... Um, uh, um, sort of insult that they use up there for people like me and they started they all started calling me burger neck <laughs> yeah it went on for days and days i mean you can you probably put my name in sunderland into google before you go up there and you'll see why you shouldn't mention my name well maybe you can make something of it uh, that sounds brilliant is that specific to you or is that just a, a quote that they use for other people well I, I, I presume they use it against other people as well but uh, but it was certainly uh, specific at that time to me well, I think that's uh, specifically offensive to me being a vegan. You well, know, there I you go. You can't call me that. No. Well, well, listen, have a very good time up there. And uh, if you want to see Dave Chawner, go check him out. Uh, he's very funny. And uh, we will see him again soon, I'm sure. We'll get you on Plank of the Week uh, very shortly, Dave.
lots more to do, lots more to talk about. Um, I've got this uh, breaking news for you now as well. Extinction Rebellion activist Reverend Sue Parfit, Father Martin Newell, well, they're very, very much attached to the old cloth, aren't they? And Philip Kingston have been cleared by a jury at Inner London Crown Court of obstructing the railway uh, during a 2019 stunt which saw them cause 77 minutes of disruption. So that's all right then. So if you're an Extinction Rebellion, uh, if you are in um, uh, the organisation called the Colston Four, you can just do what you like. Nobody's going to punish you. Don't worry about it. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, I suppose Boris Johnson might be thankful that uh, Prince Andrew uh, has got the number of problems that he has got because he is still the dominant story on most of the front pages. Andrew humiliated as Queen strips him uh, of his titles, thrown out. Uh, T-H-R-O-N-E is the headline on the front page of The Sun. Even the Daily Telegraph uh, has gone with Prince Andrew rather than the Downing Street party story. Uh, so the front page is very much dominated, of course, by uh, the lowest ebb that he now finds himself himself out. Let's talk uh, to a barrister uh, to find out precisely just how much trouble he could be in. Uh, Kalia Lykogu is here with us. Uh, she's a bar- barrister at Doughty Street Chambers. Uh, Kalia, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, good to know um, what the legal position is, really, because obviously this is a civil suit. Um, so there's no absolute requirement for Andrew to be, say, extradited or forced to go to New York to testify. But what can they do in terms of, say, um, making him, uh, subpoenaing him um, to give a deposition of some kind in this country? Um, well, there's civil proceedings, as you've said. Um, so to some extent, there's an element of... A- the voluntary here Mm. um if he's subpoenaed and he refuses to go um then you know that may affect his legal proceedings over there um him losing his royal titles i think is a devastating blow to him personally and from a pr perspective but i don't think it it makes a material difference to his legal proceedings uh, to his legal position um, sovereign immunity from criminal or civil proceedings applies to the monarch, but has never, but, uh, never really extended to Prince Andrew. Mm. Um, even if he loses his legal proceedings in the UK, uh, sorry, in the US, the outcome is going to be that he's ordered to pay significant financial damages to her and her legal costs. He he isn't going to prison either way. Right. And if you were his lawyer, and I don't want to put you on the spot here, but I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to. I mean, if you were his lawyer, what would you advise him to do? In in respect of his legal proceedings? Yeah, in terms of, yeah, I mean, we'll get on to what he does with the rest of his life, I suppose, in a, in a bit. But I mean, if, if um, I mean, it's, it's almost like whatever he does, he's in a bad place. Yeah, he is in... He's in a sticky position, to put it uh, mildly. Um, well, look, if he if he is alleging that this this never took place, um, then I think the the advice is then you you fight it. Um, but but fight it to... by by allowing him to speak to a to a a lawyer from her side. I think the difficulty that he is that that he has is that. Um, if he if he is putting forward an alternative point of view, um, then he has to support it with evidence. It's not really enough just mm. to say I don't I didn't sweat all over her um, because I can't sweat, and then not to provide any evidence of that. Because essentially, the judge is being asked to consider two opposing uh, opposing positions mm. and then decide. Um, according to the standard of proof that applies, right. which one they find the most compelling. Um, and if 
if they are putting forward evidence that she was in London, that she was being trafficked, that he that there was intimacy between them, and he is denying that, then as his lawyer, I would be saying to him, well, we need to provide some actual evidence um, to counteract this. Otherwise, we're going to lose. And um, so it's a sort of caveated if, if you're if you're innocent, then, you know, we'll, we'll go to trial and we'll fight this. But equally, we need something to fight with. Otherwise, you're going to end up in a position where you are facing huge legal costs. Right. But to be honest, I don't think he can afford from a PR point of view to just accept this. No. And I think he's going to fight it absolutely all the way. Right. So in, in that case, he will have to make some kind of statement um, under oath, presumably. I mean, can they do that? from the US? Can a, can a lawyer insist that if he does talk to them, it has to be under oath? To be, I'm not, I'm not a, an expert in US law mm. or, or, or what the civil procedure is going to be like in the US. I can only really speak in terms of practicalities. Yeah, and the way yeah. civil proceedings normally work is that one side will put forward a particular claim alleging this is what happened um, and provide a statement supporting that claim then the other side will respond to that giving their account and then the parties um will usually give evidence right so he if he's going to respond to her claim then he then he's going to have to give uh, an account um which he has already to some extent but how good it is yeah is, well, is I mean, I've, I've been listening and following some of the proceedings over there. And one of the lawyers apparently said that if he claims that he was at the Pizza Express on the night in question uh, in Woking, then he's going to have to prove that he was there. And presumably they could ask him to provide whatever diaries he may or may not have or whatever records the security detail might have of where he was that night. Well, if, if I were him and I was if I were defending him, I would be saying if you've got it, then we should be using it. Yeah. Um, why? Why would you not? Right. I well, think the problem the is if he question, doesn't have it. That's the big question because I'm I'm like you. I'm like, well, if you can show that you were somewhere else, then by all means do it because that that kills the story straight there. It kills it dead. Absolutely. I think the problem with these sort of uh, cases and 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 things that happened a long time ago is. You, you get rid of things, you get rid of birthday party invitations, mm. you get rid of receipts, um, and then it becomes quite hard to defend yourself against historic allegations. Mm. And I think that may be where he's at. But yeah. if certainly if he has any evidence to support his claims, then he should absolutely be using mm. it. And say, for example, he doesn't do any of those things and he does decide just to keep stonewalling. Um, again, without wishing to, to, to put you on the spot about what the legal position is, the case can still go ahead in the US without his taking part in it, right? I think so. I think so. But And then it just increases the likelihood that he'll lose um, and then there'll be an award of damages, um, which, bearing in mind, she said, I think the claim alleges that she's suffered significant emotional and psychological distress and harm. So it suggests the damages being sought or, or that may be awarded would mm. be very high. Then the, the sort of where we find ourselves going down is that court would order him to pay them. And if he doesn't pay them, you know, that that's where things start getting uh, even more drawn out. But I think this case is going to go on and on and on because whatever the outcome, I think the likelihood is 
if he loses he'll appeal um and i think this is just going to grind on for a very mm. long time i know it's just it's a dreadful situation because i've often said the problem lies with prince andrew himself and his judgment and his inability mm. to see that his association with these rather seedy uh, in fact criminal characters was going to end up in a bad place i think there is uh, certainly an argument that there was some poor judgment here um whether it amounts to uh you know like a, enough of an allegation mm. for these proceedings to, to to be found against him is a matter for the court um but i think you know in the court of public opinion he is losing oh i think he's finished and it's a really unfortunate time for it to be happening particularly given that it's the pre the queen's platinum jubilee year which means that he won't be able to take part in anything i suspect the title duke of york might eventually be removed from him as well i'm already getting notes messages from people who actually are in york saying we don't want him as the duke of york thanks it's interesting that they didn't take that from him as well mm. she could have stripped him of everything but i imagine she wanted to leave him something. Well, I suppose so, because it must be quite painful for her. Because the same, I suppose, similarly with um, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, or the Duke and Duchess of Netflix, as I like to call them, over in <laughs> California, um, who have still got that title, even though they claim they don't want to be part of the royal family, they still use it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not an expert on royal protocol. No. But, um, I mean, families, I know about families, and that, that's always complicated. It really is, yeah, absolutely, particularly particularly if it's the royal family. And as far <laughs> as um, his sort of royal protections are concerned, I mean, he does he hasn't lost anything by having all this taken away, has he, in terms of his legal position? Because the royal family traditionally don't tend to get involved in litigation, but equally, that's just their choice, isn't it? Well... I mean, I think what what you might be referring to is, is sovereign immunity mm. and the extent to which members of the royal family can be uh, pursued in civil litigation and, and criminal litigation. But yeah. I don't. I think I, I think that's actually quite limited to the extent that there is immunity for that. Mm. I don't. I, I mean, the Met Police were looking into this um, because the allegation of um, Virginia Dufre is that. There were three allegations where there were three times where she met um, Prince Andrew and one of them was in London. And the Met Police um, have indicated twice that they're not going to be pursuing that investigation. I don't think the basis on which they did that was that that he's a member of the royal household. I think it's just that it doesn't they didn't feel it met the test for. The police are, are in an interesting position here, aren't they? Because a bit like the Downing Street parties that they're being asked to investigate, but they're still kind of not, really. Um, it's, it's quite curious as to for, for a lot of people who are not legal experts to figure out what is it that they're not doing and why are they not doing it? It, it, is, it is curious, and I think, I think there is politics involved, and I think... Um, because you know why? Why are some allegations pursued doggedly, and why are others dropped mm. and, and and not pursued with the same vigor? Um, you know, I, I don't want to. You know, I don't, I don't want to speculate. Um, no, but uh, yeah. But you would think that if there was an allegation of something like sexual assault, which was supposed to have taken place amongst other places in this country, that the mm. police would 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 be you know interested i think so i think so i think um yeah 
I think what might what what is different to this country compared to the US is that I think the allegation is that when when sexual contact took place, mm. she was 17 here yeah, right. and therefore wasn't a minor right. the way she was over in the US. Mm. But um, sexual assault, rape, trafficking, those are still crimes. Yes. Um, and it is interesting that bearing in mind um, the content of those allegations that the police haven't wanted to pursue that further with a view to to seeing if there if there are there is a basis mm. for sexual assault trafficking rape yes. uh, in the UK um, when deciding whether to proceed with a criminal with, with a criminal charge it, there has to be certain uh, in in order for a criminal charge to go before the courts there has to be certain things that the court feel that they can prove or mm. the CPS the Crown Prosecution Service yeah. feel that they can prove they have to think that there's a reasonable chance of a conviction um, and there has to be uh, has to be in the public interest as well. Right. So, but in order to do that, I think the police have to investigate first. Yes, and that's um, the problem, isn't it? Because it does appear, and I don't expect you to to maybe say what 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 you might want to say, but it does appear that they're reluctant to kind of get involved with very high profile individuals. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I I can't, I can't, I, I don't want to speculate no, too not. much why, but I think, I, I think all of us sometimes feel as though people in positions of power are not scrutinised yeah. as much I mean, as it was interesting people because not. Somebody commented actually on the whole, the case involving Elaine Maxwell and even Jeffrey Epstein that in this country, perhaps if they had been tried here or if perhaps they had been brought to justice here, they might not have been found guilty because we have, you know, the Americans are much less respectful, shall we say, of, of those in power. They don't mind going after them in the same way that we perhaps don't. I mean, I, I don't know. We've, we've got the jury system here, which um, I have a lot of faith in. And if they were brought before uh, a trial, if, if they were being tried, um, then you know, cases will be brought against them. The prosecution would still have the burden of proof and the jury would still have to reach a conclusion the mm. same way as in, in the US. Right. Um, so I, I, I don't know if they would have been um, convicted or acquitted yeah. here. Interesting. Well, listen, great to talk to you, Carly. Thank you very much. And I know it's a bit of a minefield uh, because nobody really quite knows where it's all going to end up. But uh, it's certainly going to drag on for a while. And Andrew's going to have to make a decision either through uh, his representatives in law uh, or himself. He's just going to have to decide what he's going to do, because if he can prove that he wasn't where she says he was, then obviously that would get him off the hook, wouldn't it? But if he can't prove it, then I think he's in a bit of trouble. Is he not? 0344-499-1000. Quite a few of you have been in touch, by the way, to answer the query that we had earlier about the GHIC card, uh, which replaces the other card. Apparently, a lot of people have got them, so they are actually being given out. So if you haven't got yours, it might well be just another one of these delays caused by the fact that nobody's actually doing any work at the place where they're supposed to, in the civil service. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK. Online. On DAB. And on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. 
If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.